Shall we pray? And then we're going to get stuck into this uh, passage. That would be great. So, Father, uh, we thank you so much for your word in the Bible. And we pray now that, um, that you would help us encounter you. You'd come by your Holy Spirit. And that we would see uh, something of what this man saw um, in his heart. And uh, instead of being sad, we would rejoice because we found you. Amen. Some of you know that uh, I used to work for a drug and alcohol service, and um, I love that job. I worked there for about a year. And, but one of the challenges was that um, people who would come into the service um, would often be people who had been um, told to go by someone else. So a friend of them had said, you know, you've got an issue of alcohol. You need to go and get help, or a family member. And it was really clear to the family member, to the friend, that they had an issue. But to themselves, it was really, really hard for them to see that they had an issue. And so they go, do you know what? I don't really know why I'm here. I, just don't, I shouldn't really be here, but kind of just to keep them quiet, I've decided to come here. And then you would say, well, how much do you drink? And they would give the amount per week or per day, and sometimes it was a frightening amount. And even when you compared the amount that they drank per day to the recommended guidelines, which is like, you know, don't go over this, um, it, and it was vastly different, they would still say, I don't really have a problem. Now, but that's not just an issue for people um, with drug and alcohol issue, uh, issues. It's an issue actually for all of us because other people can very often see the issues that are in our hearts, but we find it really, really hard. And we're going to see in this passage this person, uh, this rich ruler, um, who comes to Jesus with a great question that Jesus pinpoints something that's holding him back from having eternal life. And yet he he might see it, but he walks away. And sometimes we do see it and we walk away. Sometimes we refuse to see it. There's something inside us that resists. Um, he asks, actually, what is one of the best questions that you can possibly ask. He says right at the beginning, he says, good teacher, what must I do? Interesting that he thinks that you've got to do something. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I don't know what you think about Jesus. Um, if you ask people on the street today, who do you think Jesus is? Um, they might say he's God, but probably not. They might say he's a prophet, but very often people say, I think he was a good moral teacher. And if that's the case, as this man seems to think, and probably many, most in our culture think, that he is a good moral teacher, he's worth listening to, isn't he? And actually probably most of us think that he's far more than a uh, good moral teacher, that he's um, the one who conquered death and is able to give us eternal life as a result. And so therefore, he is really worth listening to. So this rich young ruler, he comes up to Jesus, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Immediately, he hones in on something that this ruler finds very difficult to grasp. And actually, we find very difficult to grasp. Because what I want to say this morning is that inheriting eternal life is both much harder than we think, and much easier than we think. Much harder than we think for two particular reasons, and much easier than we think for one reason. It's much harder than we think because we get confused about the quality of our goodness. If you um, speak to most people, and even if you uh, have a conversation amongst yourself afterwards, most of us would probably say, uh, if it were asked, are you a good person? We'd say, yes, of course, I'm a good person. And, and uh, we do that in a, for a particular reason. What we do, if we can have the first or the first picture slide, um, uh, 
is that we look and we see ourselves and we see our goodness and we particularly go, we look at someone who's particularly uh, terrible, uh, maybe a, a war criminal or we see something on the news or we see a soap opera or a reality TV program and we look, if you like, to them and we think, well, I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm a good person. I'm like so far removed from that kind of, that kind of evil or terribleness. So I'm therefore a good person. But what Jesus says is, why do you call me good? Only God is good. What Jesus is trying to say is, look, don't look that way comparing yourself to someone else. That would just make you pride. Look at in another direction. Look towards God. Look at the next slide. Because when you see God, you then actually, there is a stark contrast between all of us and God. Because God is perfect. He's pure. He's holy. He is utterly good. There's nothing in him that's not good. Whereas when we look into our own hearts, um, I think in the Old Testament it talks about even our best deeds are like filthy rags. It's not that we'd have no goodness in us. We're made in the image of God. It's just that those things are marred and twisted by our hearts that go towards or away from God and towards living for ourselves. And so Jesus wants to make clear to this guy and to us actually, the quality of our goodness is actually uh, quite lacking. And he goes on um, to say, well, you know what the commandments are. And he uh, lists a number. He says, uh, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And the man says, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Now, either this man... um, uh, has forgotten quite a significant amount of his life. Because if I look back to when I was a boy, I can quite clearly see, and if you ask my parents, quite a lot of instances where I did not keep these things. Particularly, they would probably point out, honor your father and mother. But, but Jesus goes even deeper than that. You remember what he says about adultery? He says, that's not just an act that you do, like a one-night stand. That's actually what goes on in your heart. It's if you have even lust in your heart, that's adultery. When he talks about murder, um, Jesus says, you know, that's not like some incredible crime that maybe you see on TV. It is that, but it's much more than that. It's about what's in your heart. It's if you even hate someone, if you even look down on someone and call someone a a name um, with disparagement in your heart, that's actually murder in your heart. We do not keep these commandments, and therefore we don't live up to God's standard of goodness. We fall quite far short from that. And of course there are people who are worse than us, maybe, if we compare ourselves to them. But when we look to God, we see that he is the only one who is totally good. Now we find that really hard uh, to, to take. And you might even go, do you know what? I don't like how this sermon is going, Mark. I'm kind of looking forward to this ending quite soon. Because aren't you just making me feel bad about myself? But what Jesus is trying to do in this passage isn't to make us feel bad, but to bring out what's really inside our hearts so that he can deal with it, so he can change us. Do you know the one of the most wonderful things about Jesus is that you could be right on the black end of the extreme or right in the kind of grayish area where you're still not good like God, but you're quite different. And yet you're still totally and utterly loved. There's nothing you can do to stop God loving you. Even if you're in a complete extreme or whether you might think I'm relatively good compared to the standard of this world, God still loves us deeply. And that gives us the security that we can be totally honest and open with him about what we're really like inside. We can say, God, do you know what? If I'm honest, if I look at my goodness, okay, it might be relatively good compared to other people. But if I look to you, I know 
that I'm far away from that. Please would you come and forgive me and change me so I'm like you. Make me holy as you're holy. The first thing, is that my alarm to say my sermon is over? <laughs> the first thing that the, uh, the, Jesus wants to get across is that it's harder than we think because we, we get confused about our relative goodness. But the second thing is that we get confused and we struggle with what the true problem of our treasures are. Because Jesus follows on and says, okay, let's, let's kind of narrow in on some of these commandments, these commandments that God's given us. He says, look, um, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And then Luke says, when the man heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. This man has a treasure, like all, we, all of us do, a treasure that actually comes in, in the way between him and God. And the treasure that this man has is actually his money. Now, that may not be the treasure we have, as we'll come on to a moment. But I do want to focus on money because that's what Jesus focuses on. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, um, when he asked him about the commandments, did you notice he, he, he mentions five but leads out the other five ten, of the Ten Commandments? He leaves out, do not cover. And one observation you may have made, and I've certainly made, is that more you have, the more you want. The wealthier you are, the more you want. And he leaves that out. But now he hones in on it. He also leaves out the first four commandments, which are all about our relationship with God. Particularly the first one that says, you shall have no other gods before me. You should not prioritize anything other than me. You shan't live for anything um, above me. And this man clearly does. Because he treasures his money so much that he'd rather hold on to it than let go of it and follow Jesus. Uh, a while ago, I was speaking um, on uh, another uh, passage where Jesus talks about money and the grip that it can hold on us. And I gave everyone a penny because I'm so generous. I gave everyone a penny and I said, what I want you to do um, is I want you to take the penny and I want you to just hold on to it with your, with your hand like that. Just grasp onto it. And then after about 10 or 15 minutes of the talk, I said to them, can you do something for me? Can you let go of the penny? Now, of course, none of us find it difficult to let go of a penny because a penny is very little, probably. But the trouble is when you grip hold of something for a long time, it's actually very difficult to unclench your fist. And that's what happens when we hold on to something that we treasure so much. It's really hard to let go of. And that's what this man does. He finds it so hard to let go of that he would rather hold on to his wealth and his money than let go of it, trust Jesus and follow him. He lost out on the opportunity to become a disciple. He lost out potentially on the opportunity of eternal life, the biggest treasure you can imagine. And this is the difficulty with our treasures, that they become so important to us that we don't see something that is far more valuable. You know, money is valuable, right? It's good. It's useful. Uh, we use it to buy things that we really need. And we can use it to bless other people. It's really good. But if we treasure it, we think it's so valuable that it becomes above God, then we miss out on the true treasure. We miss out on Jesus. And Jesus goes on to say something that um, is quite shocking, really. He says, do you know how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? You know, um, I don't know what you're like, but I always think, I wish I had a bit more money. Wouldn't life be a little bit easier if I had a little bit more money? I heard someone say once, we all think we need 10% more money than we have. And when we get 10% more money than we did have, what do we want? 
We want 10% more money than we have now. We always think we need more, and yet this is such a warning, isn't it, against that? I mean, there is probably an amount where actually it's unhelpful to be so poor and to have so little. But actually it is a warning to those of us that have quite a bit that actually it's hard to get into the kingdom of God because money can have such a grip on our, la- our lives. And Jesus gives this incredible illustration uh, in, the, in verse 25. He says, indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I was thinking, how do I illustrate this? And uh, I thought, and do you know what? I'll bring a camel in. But apparently, bringing a camel into Wick Hall was not really a preferable idea. Uh, some people thought that um, perhaps the people on the front row would get spat on, and that wasn't a good idea. Other people thought they're going to damage this brand new floor, and uh, this floor is so nice, we don't want to bring a camel in, Mark. And then someone else mentioned, um, you know, there'll be so, everyone will want to ride it, that there'll be tailbacks on the A259, and there's already a problem on that road already without tailbacks because of Mark's camel. So I haven't brought in a camel. I've brought in, hang on a moment, I brought in a leopard. It's not a real leopard, because that's probably worse than bringing in a camel, to be honest. It's my, uh, my daughter's leopard. And um, I just want to demonstrate, and in fact, I might need, uh, could someone help me with this? I don't know, do you want to help me? No, okay, Tom, do you mind if you could, do you mind helping me? Do you want to come and help me? No, okay, Tom, can you help me? Um, I've got a needle just in there. Can you get the needle out? And what we're going to try, this is a first. I don't think anyone else has attempted this, um, certainly not in Wick Hall. Uh, Tom, can you just hold the needle up? Can you see the needle? Um, and can you see the eye of the needle? It's, a, it's very, very small. And what we're going to do is we're going to put this uh, leopard, we're going to put this leopard through the eye of the needle. Are you ready? Okay, should we do a countdown? Ready? Three, two, one. Oh, yeah, I did it. I did it. No, I'm not going to fool you. I'm not going to fool you, am I, that I actually could get an, uh, a, a, a camel or a leopard through the eye of needle? Of course you can't. But I hope no one's going to be fooled into thinking that it's easy for rich people to get into the kingdom of God either. Because that's Jesus' point, isn't it? That if you have wealth, it is hard. That's what he says. It is hard to get into the kingdom of God. It is difficult. And so I want to say this morning, you know what? It's harder than you think because we get confused about our relative goodness when only God is good. It's hard to get into the kingdom of God to inherit eternal life because potentially our wealth, if we, if we have that, can get in the way. But this is the good news. It's actually easier than you think. It's easier than you think because um, the, 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 the crowd go, well, if he can't get in, then it must be impossible. I mean, they say in the, uh, in the next verse, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? They think, well, this guy's so good. I mean, he's kept the commandments. Surely he'll inherit eternal life. Surely he'll go from being outside the kingdom of God um, in the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, being, coming under the king, under King Jesus, submitting to him and enjoying all the blessings that come. From, from God being, his ki- being their king, surely he will, and because he's good, and not only that, he has money. And many people in those days, confused by the Old Testament, thought, you know, if you have money, it's a sign of God's blessing on your life, it's a sign of God's favor. So if this guy can't get in, what hope does any of us have? And Jesus says this, and this is where I want us to, to finish. He says this, he says, what is impossible with people is possible with God. Do you know what? It is impossible for all of us. It's absolutely impossible for us. 
if we try and do it on our own. But if we do it with God, then it is possible. And it's possible for this reason, because it is absolutely zero to do with me. It's got absolutely zero to do with you. We don't present God with our I'm a good person card, and then he kind of lets us into the kingdom of heaven. We don't present that card and then we get eternal life. We don't bring whatever we have and go, oh, as if we could pay God off or something with our money. You know, money gives you power and it enables you to get into places that no one else can get into. But that's not the case with inheriting eternal life. It's a gift that we receive. It's a total gift that we receive. You know, um, a little bit later, we're going to share Holy Communion. And um, Tom will invite you forward. And what do you bring when we... share Holy Communion. We remember Jesus's death on the cross, that his body was broken for us, that his blood was spilt for us. And what do we bring? We hold out our hands and we bring our money? No. Oh, we bring all our good deeds? No, we bring nothing. Our hands are totally empty. We bring nothing and yet we get everything. You know, one of the things that um, is so hard to get our heads around, but this is just what's so important, is that, you know, this man thought that he could get in because he had so much. And we think that sometimes as well. But we don't get in because we have so much. We get in because we come with nothing. Jesus is the one who actually had everything. He had all the riches in heaven. He had more money than you can possibly imagine, more resources than you can possibly imagine. And yet he was the one who gave it all up. He gave it all up for us because his greatest treasures was not what was what money or, or anything else. His greatest treasure was you. It was me. And so he would give it all up for us so that he could have a relationship with us. That was his greatest treasure. And the extent to which you get that in your heart, that he loves you so much, you're his treasure that he came to get, that he came to die for. That will be the extent that you'll be able to say, well, if he loves me that much, then I can let go of everything. You know, or to put it another way, Jesus, it wasn't just that Jesus gave up the, everything in heaven to come and rescue us. God gave everything up too. God the Father. Do you remember that bit in Romans 8 where Paul says, God did not spare his son but gave him up. And if he did that, won't he give up all things? In other words, if God loves you so much that he would give up his son, his most treasured, dear possession, won't he give up everything else? Won't he give you everything you can possibly imagine that you could ever need? I'm not saying it's wealth in this life or a nice car or a nice house or whatever else, but everything you need and everything in the next life that you ever could possibly imagine that you would ever want. God gave up his son. Won't he give up all things? There's a story I heard of a, uh, a little girl and she's uh, going to bed and she's gripping hold of a necklace. And her daddy comes up to her and says, I want you to give me the necklace. And she goes, oh, but daddy, this is my, fa- you know, this is my favorite necklace. This, I love this necklace. You know, it's, it's sparkly, it's shiny, it's so lovely. I really, please, can I keep it? And daddy goes, the daddy goes, no, no, no. I want you to give up this necklace. And she goes, okay, okay, all right, I'll give it up. And she hands him the necklace. She trusts that the daddy loves her so much that she's willing to let go of the necklace. And then the daddy comes and gets something out of his pocket, and it's in a box. And he takes the lid off the box, and what is in the box? It is not the plastic necklace that the girl had, but a pearl necklace, the most beautiful pearl necklace. And he says, I wanted to give you this as a gift. But I knew that if I opened the box up and you had the shiny plastic one, you wouldn't see its worth. 
So I've taken that away so that you can have the pearl one. Do you know, sometimes we hold on to things. We think they're so precious. And maybe they are quite precious. But they're nothing. They're plastic in comparison to the pearl of eternal life, of the pearl of coming into God's kingdom and knowing God as our king and coming under his authority and having all the blessings of heaven, eternal life, forgiveness, everything else that we get. It's a pearl. And so won't you let go of the various other plastic things, the things that ultimately in the scale of eternity, they're not worth as much compared to the pearl that Jesus offers you, the pearl that he gave you by giving up his son on the cross. I wonder what that thing is. Imagine for a moment Jesus comes into the room right now and he sits next to you and he says to you, I want you to follow me, but first I want you to give up And then he leaves a dramatic pause. What is the one thing that you are hoping he is not going to say? That's the one thing that we desperately need to surrender to God and say, God, okay, I leave it at your disposal. Maybe we'll get to keep it. Who knows? Or maybe not. But we come in dependent trust. We come like a a child. Jesus says a child enters the kingdom of God because they're dependent, fully dependent on their parent to supply their needs. And we're like that too. We may not lose whatever God um, is asking us to hold out to him, but we trust him regardless of what he asks to do with it. And so what I want to do is uh, I want to have, we're going to have a time of prayer now. And what I'd love you to do is just to imagine that thing that maybe you might be tempted to hold on to and just hold it out to God and say, God, will you, you might even have said, I need some help because I find it really hard to let go of this. I've gripped onto it for so long, but just to ask him to help you release your grip. And let him do with it whatever he would like to. So let's, shall we pray? Father, we, we need your Holy Spirit. Would you pour out your Holy Spirit now upon each one of us? Would you show us those things that we hold on to? And would you help us open up our hands and let go of them? And allow, be in total surrender to you. And God, even now, whether we're watching online or in here, I ask that you would pour out your love on us so that we can, we can suddenly relax and go, okay, I don't need to hold on tightly because my God loves me and cares for me. And I'm just going to leave a bit of silence for you to just talk with God, just quietly in your heart, in your head, and say whatever you need to say to him right now.